When sharing your faith with a Latter-day Saint, it helps to know what their church has taught on several basic topics. For this reason, Mormonism Research Ministry has provided its Crash Course Mormonism. Crash Course Mormonism includes concise articles highlighting what LDS leaders and church manuals have taught on issues that will probably come up in a typical conversation. You can find these informative articles at CrashCourseMormonism.com. That's CrashCourseMormonism.com. Viewpoint on Mormonism, the program that examines the teachings of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints from a biblical perspective. Viewpoint on Mormonism is sponsored by Mormonism Research Ministry. Since 1979, Mormonism Research Ministry has been dedicated to equipping the body of Christ with answers regarding the Christian faith in a manner that expresses gentleness and respect. And now, we hope you enjoy this repeat broadcast. Welcome to this edition of Viewpoint on Mormonism. I'm your host, Bill McKeever, founder and director of Mormonism Research Ministry. With me today is Eric Johnson, my colleague at MRM. Today we are looking at the August 2015 issue of Ensign Magazine. In this issue, there's an article titled, We Believe in Being Humble. When I first saw that headline, I thought that sounds like a self-refuting oxymoron. When you say that you believe in being humble, then it seems like you're not being humble. So I just found irony in that statement. I think you're going to find a lot of irony in this discussion that we're going to have regarding this topic. And certainly humility is an important issue. I don't think as Bible-believing Christians we would deny that. Certainly there is much in the Bible that speaks against the sin of pride. But there's some things in this very short article, and this article is found entirely on page 10 in the August 2015 issue of Ensign. There's plenty to criticize. There's plenty to critique, and we're going to do that. But first of all, Eric, I don't want to start with the article itself. I want to start with a pull quote, because in the lower left-hand side of the page, there's a pull quote by Dieter F. Uchtdorf, and it's a pull quote taken from a talk that he gave in General Conference in April of 2015 titled On Being Genuine. And it's just a small section. So why don't you read that? Well, the title of this little article is called The Most Humble Man. When I first saw that, I have to admit, Bill, that I was hoping he wasn't going to talk about Joseph Smith, but I feared that he would. But he's going to talk about Jesus. This is what he says. The greatest, most capable, most accomplished man who ever walked this earth was also the most humble. He performed some of his most impressive service in private moments with only a few observers whom he asked to tell no man what he had done. See Luke 8.56. When someone called him good, he quickly deflected the compliment, insisting that only God is truly good. See Mark 10.17-18. Clearly the praise of the world meant nothing to him. And then there's an ellipsis and it says, we would do well to follow the example of our master. Now, I don't think any of us would argue that certainly we all would do well to follow the example of Jesus. But in this short statement, let me just point out some things that I saw. First of all, when he talks about his impressive service in private moments, yes, Jesus did do a lot of things privately. But he did a lot of things in public. The feeding of the 5,000, for instance, was not a private matter. And certainly there were a lot of things that he did out in the public. So to try to give the impression that his most impressive service was in private moments with only a few observers, and when he tells someone to, to tell no man, such as 
the healing of the lepers. I think there's more to the story than what Dieter Uchtdorf may think, especially when he talks about the story of the rich young ruler that comes to Jesus in Mark chapter 10, where he says the rich young ruler said that he was good, good master. He quickly deflected the compliment, insisting that only God is truly good. Reading this little pull quote, I can only assume that maybe Dieter Uchtdorf misunderstood why Jesus said that to this rich young ruler. It wasn't because Jesus was saying he wasn't good because he's not God. That's certainly not what no, Jesus was implying. Not at all. He was merely trying to show that this rich young ruler who didn't recognize him as being God gave him that title. And Jesus was correcting him and saying that, look, if you don't think that I'm God, you have no right to really call me good because only God is good. And that's where context comes in, in that passage and all through the Gospels, because Jesus is always pointing to himself as being somebody more than just a normal human being, that he was God in the flesh. Absolutely. For instance, when he says, if you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Now, when he goes on, when Dieter F. Uchtdorf goes on to say, clearly the praise of the world meant nothing to him, I would even question that statement because I think it is important because Jesus also made it very clear that if you don't honor him like you honor the Father, you are in error. Jesus had every opportunity to correct Thomas in John chapter 20, verse 28, when Thomas called him my Lord and my God when he saw him for the first time after he would not believe. But a week later, he believes, my Lord and my God. In the next verse, Jesus should have said, I can't believe you're calling me God. No, he commends Thomas and says, blessed are you, Thomas, because you've seen and believed. So Jesus, if this is true of what Uchtdorf is saying, he had lost a great opportunity to correct that kind of thinking. And I'm sorry that they only put this little small pull quote, but remember, most people are probably not going to read Uchtdorf's entire talk that he gave in general conference. And so you have this little tiny section and, and if Uchtdorf meant to include more ideas to bolster what he's trying to get across here, he should have done it. Or at least the editor of the Ensign magazine putting this together should have done it for him. Because I think it gives the appearance that Uchtdorf is missing a lot of important aspects of the verses that he is citing in this little tiny section. But let's look at the article itself. It's, We Believe in Being Humble. And then there's a pull quote by Ezra Taft Benson, who was the 13th president of the Mormon Church. And this is what it says. The proud stand more in fear of men's judgment than of God's judgment. What will men think of me weighs heavier than what will God think of me. Now, I understand what Ezra Taft Benson is saying here. Hoping that God thinks well of us is certainly something all of us hope for as a religious people. But here's the problem. In Mormonism, how do you know or how do you get the impression that God is thinking well of you? Isn't it based on how you're performing? Oh, yeah. It has everything to do with what you as a Latter-day Saint 
are doing right now. And of course, when you understand, if you as a Latter-day Saint believe that your God is all holy, then wouldn't you also think that there's probably going to be a lot of areas in your life where God is probably not pleased with you, unless, of course, your holiness has filtered into every area of your life, which amazingly is something that Spencer Kimball said in The Miracle of Forgiveness when it came to repentance. It has to affect every area of your life, which, of course, we've never found a Mormon who qualifies in that area. So if a Mormon is wanting to know if God thinks well of them, what do you think the proper answer would be for most Latter-day Saints who really examine their hearts and examine their lives? Do they really think or have an assurance that God is completely pleased with them? Well, and how does a Latter-day Saint know that God thinks well of them? It's what they do for what the church says they're supposed to do. And so their bishop, their immediate leaders are the ones who, and and certainly the, the leaders at General Conference, will let them know what is expected of them. And pretty much you can figure out how you're doing. Wouldn't you agree that a lot of Mormons probably judge their their righteousness based on their ability to get a temple recommend? Oh, absolutely. I, I've heard this several times yep. from Mormons. Well, I have a temple recommend. As if that means everything is okay. Really all it means is, folks, is that that individual fooled the person who was giving the interview. Because I wouldn't even think that if a Mormon was totally honest in their interview with their stake president or bishop, that they probably would not qualify in many cases. Let me read the first paragraph. I think there's some things in here we can talk about. It starts off this way. When we become members of the Church of Jesus Christ, we covenant to always remember him, take his name upon us, and keep his commandments. And they're getting that from Doctrine and Covenants, section 20, verse 77. Any sin prevents us from keeping this covenant, but there's one sin above all others that we need to avoid because it leads to so many others. Pride. Here's how I would respond to that first paragraph. If the responsibility of the Latter-day Saint is to keep all of the commandments, and that's certainly what this article is implying. It certainly is, because it says that we take his name upon us and keep his commandments. Any sin prevents us from keeping this covenant. Now, you had mentioned the miracle of forgiveness. Just to lay out all the sins that he could think of, Uh, Spencer Kimball puts a list of 85 or 90 different items together and then says, if I forgot to mention anything, don't forget, go back and and figure out what you're doing wrong. And he said, breaking any of those. He would say the same thing that DNC 2077 is saying, that any sin would keep you from attaining exaltation, that perfection was an achievable goal. Now, I don't want to appear as being nitpicky. But when this article tries to point out the sin of pride, and certainly pride is a bad sin, and I would agree that pride leads to many other sins, but if it's one sin that disqualifies you from keeping the covenant, what does it really matter if it's pride or anything else? See, that's my point here. Yeah, I'm agreeing. Pride is a problematic sin. One of the reasons why I find pride to be so troublesome is many times those of us who have this sin, and we all do, we don't think we do. Or at least we don't think we do in certain areas. We may admit that we have it in some areas, but maybe not in all areas. And pride is an ugly sin because it permeates like tentacles into all areas of our life. 
to the point where many times we don't even realize that it's pride that's allowing us to think a certain way or even act a certain way. And I think the first word that comes out of a person's mouth when pride is evident is the pronoun I. It's always about starting with me, I, and that's not the way that the Bible intends for us to have a relationship with God. It always should start with he and not I. That's an excellent point because if you were to ask most Latter-day Saints why they think they might be qualified for the celestial kingdom, if they even do, and many of them don't, But if they were to think that they are qualified for the celestial kingdom and you asked them why, I will guarantee you, folks, the first word, as Eric has said, that will come out of their mouth is I. I did this or I did that. I know because I've had that experience with Latter-day Saints. And you're right also, Eric, rarely do I ever hear them start the sentence off with he or because of what he did for me. And of course, as an evangelical Christian, if you ask me that question, why do I feel that I am quote unquote qualified to be in the presence of God after I die? It's because of what he did for me, not what I did for myself. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information regarding Mormonism Research Ministry, we encourage you to visit our website at www.mrm.org, where you can request our free newsletter, Mormonism Researched. We hope you will join us again as we look at another viewpoint on Mormonism. As with most Christian organizations, Mormonism Research Ministry depends on the generous financial support of friends like you. If you like what we do and how we do it, would you consider helping MRM meet its financial obligations? Merely go to our website, mrm.org. At the right, you'll see a donate button. Click there and follow the instructions. MRM is a Christian nonprofit 501c3 organization and your gifts are tax deductible. Not only that, they are greatly appreciated. Thank you for your support of this ministry.